You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. And I am your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It is October 7th, and I've got a great show for you this week. And that's actually a lie. I'm starting off lying to you. <laughs> it's actually October the 8th. Um, yeah, I, I had a really, really busy weekend. And uh, it was actually a lot of fun. I mean, spent some really great quality family slash Halloween time at the house. Um... Uh, yeah, it, it, times like this make me very happy that I'm a family man. <laughs> and if you are a family man or a family woman yourself, you understand that those times are few and far between. <laughs> a little tongue-in-cheek, a little serious. Um, Alright, so I, I do have a really great show for this week. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to bring you the article by Magister Michael Rose, Satanic Victims. In Infernal Informant, Romney takes on Big Bird, but not the big issues. And generic antidepressant pulled from the U.S. shelves after FDA finding. And in the creature feature, I'm going to bring you a review of one of my all-time favorite movies. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a Halloween movie, but I usually watch it around Halloween. The Witches of Eastwick. I'm a fan. And you know what? I'm probably going to give you a Bizarre of the Bizarre, so look for that at the last last half of the show. Oh, it really won't take that long. Alright, so let's talk about uh Greater Magic episode. How about this? So I've been I've been working on, as you know, if you've been listening to this show, putting together a greater magic episode for the year uh forty seven on a and I have two amazing women, two amazing, powerful satanic witches. And if you've been paying attention to social networking circles, you probably already know who they are, but I'm going to tell you if you haven't. And that's right. This is the first time I'm releasing the information because it's only a couple weeks away, this greater magic episode. High Priestess of the Church of Satan, Magistra Peggy Nadramia, and Citizen Nanaya Asema. Now, I've had Nanaya on the show before, uh, near the beginning of the year, and I've actually had uh, Magistra Nadramia on the show as well, um, though we were speaking specifically to her project Cocktail Vultures. Well, this time I have these two women talking specifically to Greater Magic, answering the questions that you sent in. So thank you very much for sending them in. I appreciate your contributions. And a couple that I just uh, either wanted their perspectives on or wanted to ask and, you know, get different views from last year, maybe. Um, yeah, and, and these episodes, uh, recording them isn't a big deal. Uh, it, it's actually a lot of fun for me because I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Creator Magic, the, the theory and practice of, and actually Lesser Magic too, though I haven't had any real, uh, like workshops as it were on those. That may be something that I, I start to do next year, um, Though I, I do also actually have <laughs> next year's Greater Magic episode sort of you know, like sketched out, you know, what I want to do. But it, it, it's putting these episodes together 
that's, you know, splicing um, the questions and the voiceovers uh, for the intros and stuff like that. Finding suitable quotes. Um, and I've got a couple so far, but I still have a lot of work to do, and I only got two weeks left. And I'm also in the middle of doing my uh, Nine Cents Presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema a new project. I'm really, really wearing myself thin here. Uh, I think this week, I, and specifically right now, I just I just finished working out. And uh, I think I'm getting sick, so that's always wonderful as well. <laughs> so I have all these damn projects in the air. Uh, I'm getting sick, and on top of that, uh, brand new projects, you know, like this Satanist on Satanic Cinema. So I talked to you last week about how to enjoy the episode. Well, this week I'm going to talk to you about where you can go to get it. Uh, and no, it is not yet available. I have the episodes uh, recorded. I'm going through the editing process. One of the reasons why this episode is actually late. Um, but I do have a lot to edit. And because I'm doing this all myself, all for your entertainment, it takes a lot of time away from my family, and I'm only willing to sacrifice so much of that time. So it's taking me a little longer than I anticipated. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes open. It, it's coming. But you can check out, like, Facebook, Google+. Plus. Um, I have a Satanet page for the Satanist on Satanic Cinema project. And I'm going to be tweeting it out on the Nine Cents and spreading the word whenever there's an episode available on Nine Cents. But what I'm going to be doing is... <laughs> what I want to do, ultimately, is make sure that every project I do is available to you in whatever format you want it. So I know that there are some of you who despise iTunes, for example, and just refuse to download my podcast through iTunes. And I totally respect that. That's fine with me. I don't care. Um, I'm actually kind of turning away from iTunes myself because of uh, technology issues. But um, I, I make sure that the show is available on a lot of other areas, you know, obviously, Radio Free Satan, number one place if you want to get it. There's a RSS feed there. Or you can go to my web site and get the RSS feed there. Or you can go to YouTube because I started posting the audio podcast there as well. So it's available at Stitcher. It's available at Spotify. It's available at Last.fm. You know, I, I go out of my way. So what I want to do with this Satanist on Satanic Cinema is do the same thing. Now, the difference is, obviously, you're going to have to drop 99 cents in order to get these episodes big whoop, but they're going to be two hours long, so longer than this podcast, and they're going to be wrapped around specific individuals, the guests, which are also available on the website, satanistonsatanicsinema.com, and um, the promo videos that I put out, actually the most recent promo video, uh, speaks to the first four episodes, what movies are going to be watched, what guests are going to be featured, and I've got some really exciting people. So, you know, it's one of those things where I want to make sure that you can get it in as many places, again, as you want, in whatever format you want. So I'm going to have it on Amazon MP3. I'm going to have it on iTunes. I'm going to have it on Google Play. And then, uh, you know, there's going to be, like, uh, a whole host of sort of third-party sites that you can pick it up from if you don't like the, I guess, big players in the MP3 world right now, uh, the ones I mentioned. So it's going to be available to you. And basically what I'm doing is, I'm going to be releasing these, I was thinking I was going to do it every other month, but I think that's a huge, huge span of time, you know, in retrospect, so I'm probably going to put them out once a month, and I'm going to gauge, I'm going to gauge how often I do these, 
or whether I'll continue doing them after the four that I've had recorded already on you. So if you do enjoy it, well, let me know by buying the episodes. And if you don't, well, not every idea is a good idea. Not every project is a good project. That'll be a sure sign to let me know that there is no audience <laughs> for this type of thing. So uh, I, I will pay attention, I guarantee, <laughs> after these four. So if you like it, four bucks, you know, or, or just 99 cents each time I release them. And I will uh, make sure to keep putting them out for you. I'm hoping that you enjoy them. Uh, not that I'm going to get rich off this, but uh, it will help to supplement this podcast and, uh, you know, the various projects centered around Satanism that I'm involved in. All right, and also this past week, I had a, actually, sort of real life kicked me in the balls, literally. Okay, not literally, figuratively. I had a, a tough decision I had to make this week. Nothing too dramatic. I have uh, friends that moved out of state, and I was, you know, for the past couple months, I've had this vacation trip planned that I was going to go down to Texas and meet them. I had arranged to make a couple stops on the way to meet some of you uh, who reached out and said you would like to uh, have a cup of coffee with me on the trip down. And, uh, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I've had a lot of car issues recently. And that shit adds up, and I just had new snow tires put on because, you know, let's be honest, I got to drive through the canyon every single day during the winter, and, it, you know, you need to have new tires. Um, and so I usually get new tires, you know, every every other year or something like that, every year or every other year, because I put a lot of miles on them going back and forth to my job. But we also now have to get my wife new tires. And so with the the car issues for both of my vehicles and the new tires... It's one of those things where you have to stop and look at your budget and realize that the only way I could finance this trip is if I do it on credit card. And personally, I don't live off a credit card. I, I think it's a horrible way to live your life, and living in debt is no way to live at all. So I had to make the decision to let down my buddy, who we'd been planning for months to go see, and... I mean, I, you know, I'm not trying to do like this little pity on me thing here, um, but, uh, you know, it's, I mean, he's one of my closest friends right now. I, and I gotta be honest with you, uh, I'm not a very likable person. <laughs> I mean, if I'm being honest here, no reason to lie to you now after everything in the years that I've talked to you about. Uh, I wear on people's nerves. Uh, I'm, I'm blatant, uh, I'm raw, I'm, I'm honest, and, uh, that makes me an asshole a lot of the times. So people don't like to uh, stick around me very often. And so for me to have a friend that likes that about me is, is very rare. I mean, very rare. So, it, it, you know, it's it's a huge hit when we make this plan and I end up can't, can't, can't just can't fucking afford it. You know, that's what it comes down to. And I hate that when life gets in your way and stops you from doing the things that you want, but you know, you have to make that choice. Am I going to be responsible or am I going to hope that in the future I don't have other expenditures that crop up and put it on credit? And I just, I cannot rationalize that, especially like I have birthdays coming up. I have, you know, family birthdays. I got the holidays coming up um, and a lot of really great holidays. So I, I want to make sure that I'm not in a shitty position for those times. And so, you know what? 
responsibility they're responsible. I just could not do it. It sucks. I, I did really want to meet uh, th those of you who I had arranged to meet. And I really, really wanted to go see my buddy. And it makes me feel like shit because he went out of his way to come up here. And I know it probably wasn't all, you know, on the dollar. He probably put some in credit as well. But, um, yeah, so it, I, I'm sorry, man. I know you listen to this show every once in a while. There's really, I, I, I'm not willing to make that, that sacrifice, um, unless, you know, I, unless there's some certainty. And I, I can't have that certainty on credit. Um, and so that was sort of one of those tough decisions that I had posted in social networking circles about, and I got some interesting feedback from people. Uh, one of them in particular really made me see the value in, in this podcast, for example. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of people, what you, what you find in life is people just give you lip service. They're like, oh yeah, well, I'm sorry for whatever, or, you know, I hope everything's okay, or, you know, just sort of reaching out to be kind, which is fine. Uh, and then there's people that just, I don't know, they want to associate with you, and so they sort of go the extra mile. Well, I, I had a few people who actually were genuine about it, and that's even better, you know, when you actually, actually care. And, uh, you know, it, it came up where, you know, there was a little bit of worry that the show might not continue. And, uh, you know, that's nice. That's nice. It, it, it makes me feel like, uh, you know, you guys like what I'm doing here. So I appreciate that. Um, anyway, so enough of the bantering about me and uh, <laughs> uh, my life. Let's go ahead and dive into the show. Um, let's start with The Devil's Advocate right now. You say why? Why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? It don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Alright, if you go to churchsatan.com, go to your theory and practice, you're going to scroll down and see Satanic Victims by Magister Michael Rose. Now, I'm not going to read the entirety of this essay. I suggest, if you haven't read it, or if you haven't read it in a while, go back and read it again. Uh, this is uh, pretty pretty on point here. Uh, let me read the, the first paragraph here, and then we'll talk about the contents. From time to time, I hear from people who claim to be Satanists, bemoaning the dreadful persecutions that they endure, referring to the medieval witch hunts as a scourge against Satanism that is being restored by modern Christians, and otherwise lamenting the fact that they are being, or at least feel, as if they are being victimized. 
Since a satanic victim culture is a contradiction in terms, one can only assume that these victims are somewhat lacking in satanic attributes. What Magister Rose is speaking to in the rest of this article is the idea that, one, just as Satanists are born and not made, equally victims are born and not made. You either have it within your head that the world is against you and whatever you do you just can't overcome the opposition and so you study up on your supposed rights and you study up on what your supposed uh, privileges should be and you just raise your fist at the sky and shout to whoever will listen that you should have this right or you should be given this all the while if you just put in the minimum effort you would have it by the own sweat of your brow or the own strength of your back or, I don't know, the result of lesser magic. You have to work for things. This speaks to the, <laughs> the very privileged culture that we are encouraging in not just uh, America, but really worldwide. When you can get a TV, uh, you know, like a big screen TV for under, you know, $200 that used to be thousands of dollars, you live in a culture that has really um, met its cap. <laughs> and suddenly, innovation slows. Uh, the desire to do anything uh, grinds down to virtually nothing. And people just sit back and, and watch from the sidelines and whenever something doesn't go their way, cry out. This <laughs> This is really, in my opinion what uh, is, is the problem with with our culture right now. No one wants to work. No one wants to get their hands dirty anymore. Victims. Okay, so just a little while ago, um, I say a little while, I mean, a couple of months ago, there was, and I'm not going to give any specifics here, but if, if you were following Satanic News, you, you knew about it. Um, there was some people who had their... Um, let me, sorry, I gotta turn my phone off, I forgot. There were some people who had some property stolen from their, I'm sorry, some items stolen from their property, and rather than just go to the police officers and report the theft and let them do their job, they decided to take it to the news. And when that didn't result in what they wanted, they took it to more news outlets, and they kept spreading it, saying that, the um it was a hate crime that they had s their property stolen um they were using satanism and their supposed satanic background as a victim card and in this article and in my humble opinion you do not do that <laughs> when i was making the decision to go into the military i had a sigil of baphomet tattooed on my back and i've i've mentioned this before this story I went in to go into uh, the Air Force, and during the, you have to do this physical, and during the physical, they saw the tattoo. Um, one of the gentlemen said, that's the go to Menendez. He's like, um, I'll be right back, and he went and, I guess, told his superior commander that there's some devil worshipping or some bullshit, and it ended up where they had to take photos of my tattoos and send those photos down to uh, Texas to have the base commander of the training division that I was going to be sent to approve or deny my um, admission into the Air Force based solely on the, those tattoos and the sigil of Baphomet. Uh, 
They rejected it. They said that because the Air Force, even though it's on my lower back, because the Air Force is going to, not that they have, but going to enforce a new tattoo policy, they could not accept me on those grounds. Meanwhile, there was a Latin American gentleman who had a gigantic cross on his forearm the exact same day as me, never had it photographed, never had any hullabaloo about it, and he was sent in and uh, went to training where I should have been. Now, the Army didn't give a damn. It was all the Air Force, and it was all that commander. He was a Mormon. Um, one of the reasons I sincerely don't like Mormons. But I could have easily reached out to the ACLU, uh, made a gigantic stink about it, but I'm not a victim. I didn't let that stop me. If one road is closed to you, and, and this is a saying Anton LaVey has written down and, and, and spoken to, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. If you still don't succeed, try a different approach. And if you still don't succeed, try someone or something new. So, I tried the approach of the Air Force to go into the military. They refused me outright. The Army accepted me. And I ended up having a really fulfilling contract with them. And I left, and you know, having had a life experience that I'll never forget. And it helped develop me as the human being that I am right now. Um, it, it's an important part of being a human being is taking responsibility for your own actions. And that even means taking responsibility for your behaviors and for the state of your life. Now, let's be honest. Some people are born into uh, poverty or born into unfortunate circumstances, but that does not define you. And if you are, in fact, a Satanist, it will not define you, and you will define yourself. You will pick yourself up. You will do what you have to do to achieve the success that you define in your life. Victims don't do this, though. They call news agencies and whine about hate crimes and try to make a satanic stand. And what really, at the end of all that, what's the benefit that Satanism is getting? Because if you're doing it for Satanism and not for some selfish need to be the new reality TV star of the week, then you have to look at that. What does Satanism benefit from your actions? And if the answer is nothing then you're not doing it for the right reason. And certainly, uh, some asshole stealing uh, some supposed satanic sign from your yard, in my humble opinion, is not a hate crime, whether they hate Satanism or not. And I'm sure they do. Uh, it does not harm anyone. Sure, you had a shitty sign stolen, but does that mean you cannot put up another sign and cameras and catch them the next time? Does that mean that you just have to cry out and hands down at your side, kicking the dirt, looking at your shoes the rest of your life because your sign was taken? No, it doesn't matter. It means less than anything. And the fact that you would make a stand over a sign? Oh, please. You're a victim. You are not a Satanist. There's nothing satanic about that. Stand up. Be a grown-up. Put up a new sign. And that's what this article is talking to. Not that particular instance. I mean, he, he actually gives another uh, circumstance here as an example. But it, it is that thing where you have to realize that if you are playing the continual, I know my rights, I'm not a victim, well, guess what? You are. Because you may know your rights, but you're not out there getting them, securing them. You're crying about it. And that hasn't done anyone any good in the history of mankind. Stand up on your own two feet. 
and be a Satanist. And if you can't do that, then get the hell out of the way. Because there's some of us that don't like being tarnished with your whiny antics. That's what it comes down to. And that's going to do it for The Devil's Advocate. Let's go ahead and move to The Infernal Informant. That's enough! That's enough! Okay, yeah, Good news! There's no devil! Bad news! Hell, no heaven! There's nothing to see! I'm your Infernal Informant! This is AlJazeera.com. Romney takes on Big Bird, but not the big issues. The presidential debate in Denver was underwhelming in regards to discussing the big issues plaguing America. This was modified last, the 6th of October. Given President Obama's performance in the first debate in Denver, where he had to appear somewhat above the fray and may have come across as flat to viewers at home, political pundits have been wondering whether he was up to his game or ready to go head-to-head -head with Mitt Romney, who appeared to be a busy beaver, collecting many brownie points at the debating society. David Axelrod immediately declared Mitt Romney's performance in the debate was just that, a performance. Clearly, Mitt Romney won a lot of new fans. He didn't exactly tackle any long-term or substantive issues facing the country. According to the U.S. Competitiveness Project, the American economy has been suffering from several long-term deficits. I hosted a panel at the Harvard Club in New York City a few weeks ago of business leaders and entrepreneurs to discuss some of these issues. Thus, while attending the first debate, I decided to rate the candidates on these points of interest. These are hardly partisan issues. Based on findings generated by the Harvard Business Stu School Study, led by the same group of business leaders who have trained many Republican business-friendly job creators, including Mitt Romney and previous President George W. Bush. The Great Recession. According to Michael Porter and Jan Rivkin, we should have been worried before the Great Recession. They believe that there is something very different taking place within the U.S. economy, unlike other previous transitions. The Great Recession masks stagnant wages, low productivity, and real lack of competitiveness in the U.S. job market. These are clearly long-term issues that have been escalating since the end of the Cold War, the beginning of automation, and supply chain or inventory management. The candidates have been talking up their game plan on this issue. Romney has promised to create 12 million jobs in his first four years. During the debates, Romney said, I'm concerned that we're on the path that has just been unsuccessful. The president has a very, very similar, I'm sorry, has a view very similar to the one he had when he ran for office four years ago, that spending more, taxing more, regulating more, if you will, trickle-down government, would work. That's not the right answer for America. President Obama has claimed he does not want to double down on trickle-down policies of the previous Bush and Reagan administrations. The trends under his watch are the right direction, even though he may not have created as many jobs as he promised. His plans have created significantly more jobs in the past 30 months, and the economy is gradually coming out of the recession. During the debates, Obama said, we do have a difference in what comes to definitions of small business. Under Governor Romney's definition, there are a bunch of millionaires and billionaires who are small businesses. Donald Trump is a small business. And I know Donald Trump doesn't like to think of himself as small anything. And that's how you define small business if you're going 
to get business income. According to Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, the economic activity as measured by real inflation-adjusted gross domestic product, GDP, was contracting sharply when policymakers enacted the Financial Stabilization Bill, TARP, and the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. The economy has been growing for 12 straight quarters, but the pace of recovery has been modest. The unemployment rate is hovering slightly before below 8%, and according to Bloomberg, consumer confidence has been rising to a four-month high as Americans became less pessimistic about the outlook of the economy. The Thomson Reuters University of Michigan Final Sentiment Index rose to 78.3 this month from 74.3 in August. And just as a side note, uh, last week the unemployment rate was under just barely, what it was when Obama actually came into office. So that slow, progressive return to a, a better economy that he has been speaking to, Obama, is actually, like, actually happening. And that TARP bailout, the financial stabilization bill, as they put it, uh, has been paid back. So, you know, in the scheme of things, no one can be happy with where we are as a country. In fact, I don't think we've ever been happy with the state of our country. But we cannot say that it has gotten worse, because that is factually incorrect. During the debates, both candidates talked less about job creation and more about taxes. Obviously, <laughs> because they want to reach out to the people watching. Uh, Obama tried to pin down Romney's $5 trillion tax cut, but met with evasive and partial answers. It was not clear to the audience whether the president was employing a rope-a-dope strategy or genuinely taken aback by Romney's evasion on taxes. Romney seemed to gain an upper hand on the tax issue while joking about cutting public spending for Sesame Street and the character Big Bird on PBS, but sidestepping the big issues. I gotta hand it to him. Uh, if you're going to duck out of every substantive question. It does kind of take balls to tell the moderator who works at PBS that you're going to cut federal funding to PBS. And I'm sure there are some Luddites out there that really, really loved that. <laughs> Manufacturing jobs. According to Willie C. She, former executive at Kodak and now a business professor. There's no way for us to get to market in the U.S. when trying to innovate digital camera technology. Advanced digital capabilities have been outsourced, which weakened the production capability and innovation in manufacturing digital cameras. Part of the problem is that people don't think of manufacturing as a knowledge work, said she. While both candidates have been bashing China on manufacturing, they have outlined different paths to retain manufacturing in the U.S. President Obama has been stumping that he believes in American workers, and American industry, and the American auto industry. Obama has been blaming Romney as the outsourcer-in-chief, or outsourcing pioneer, during his years at Bank Capital. Which is accurate. Romney has been attacking China and Obama for being co-conspirators. We face another continuing challenge in rising China. It is in our mutual interest for China to be a partner for a stable and secure world, and we welcome its participation in trade. 
but the cheating must finally be brought to a stop. President Obama hasn't done it and won't do it. I will. That's interesting. Because it is true that China has been artificially inflating its currency for years. I mean, presidents have come and gone in the time that they've been doing it. How exactly would a U.S. president stop China from artificially inflating its currency? And why haven't they done it already? Uh, I mean, is, is that because they actually can't? They don't have any authority to do that? Because, I don't know, maybe we have so much debt in China because of the uh, <laughs> Iran, I'm sorry, Iraq War, uh, Afghanistan War, uh, tax deductions. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why we reached out to China and Saudi Arabia uh, with our hands open and our heads down. And it wasn't always under Obama's watch. In fact, he had two terms of a Republican asshat uh, W. Bush doing it. Can you tell I'm a little biased against Bush? I hate that asshole. During the debate, Romney continued his tone of attacking China. While talking about cutting spending, he said, I'm not going to keep on spending money on things to borrow money from China to pay for. That's number one. That's funny because he reaps the benefits from the tax cut. Specifically that China paid for. And I don't know if you guys remember, I was yelling about this when it was going to expire last year. I was freaking out about this. No one cares. Obama, on the other hand, opened with championing the audio, the auto industry. He got handed to him. He invested in America in that case, and it actually paid off. You know, four years ago, we went through the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. Millions of jobs were lost, and the auto industry was on the brink of collapse. The financial system had been frozen up, and because of the resilience and the determination of the American people, we've begun to fight our way back. Over the last 30 months, we've seen 5 million jobs in the private sector created. The auto industry has come roaring back, and housing has begun to... I don't know about roaring. That might be a little exaggerated. <laughs> but we all know that we've still got a lot of work to do. And so the question here tonight is not whether we, not what we've been doing, but what we're going to be doing. On manufacturing, the president's plan seems to be working and may need to be applied to other industries, he said. Romney couldn't really count, counter the claim at all. Compensation and incentives. The twin crisis of modern American capitalism can be traced in part to the proliferation of these very high-powered incentive contracts, said Muir, a Desai at Harvard Business School. Clearly, the economic gap between 1% versus 99% versus 47% has been widening. However, neither of the candidates touched on this issue with any depth. The Excuse me, the controversial claim by Romney that 47% of the population is dependent on the state was never discussed, much to the chagrin of everyone. Uh, certainly mine. i got to be honest, though. Um, I'm part of that 47%, and I do not walk with my hands out. Uh, I'm like a lot of other Americans, and a lot of other just human beings in this planet, that work our asses off for what we have. And if you're... I don't know, going into it with your eyes open, don't live by credit, and uh, stand on your own two feet, there's nothing wrong with being in that 47% that he was speaking to. Um, it just means you have different priorities. That's all. Mr. Romney, who has been dealing with the tax on his own, corporate compensation and taxes, believes that corporations are people, and we need to adopt reasonable compensation incentives 
for CEOs because we don't already. <laughs> this is this is the absurd notion that I cannot wrap my head around. Corporations are people. It's funny because it's the same person that is complaining that they're getting double taxed when um, state taxes or um, with the, the, um, investment taxes. That is also saying that corporations are people. So you not only get um, double tax benefits individually and as a corporation, but you get double the vote. But they don't, you know, they don't like it the other way when it comes to taxes, but they love it when it comes to influence. It's funny how that works, right? Because if corporations are people, and the Supreme Court has just um, recently authorized uh, unlimited funding of corporations into elections, then, you know, they have a huge sway over our election process. And that means that you have the individual that make up the corporation voting one way and putting in money one way, and then you have the corporation themselves uh, voting that same way and putting money in that same way. So you get a double vote. They're double dipping the election system and influencing everything about our world. Everything about our world. And we're supposed to just accept that? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. And then they bitch and complain about getting double taxed? Meanwhile, we're at the literally the lowest tax rate for businesses in the history of America, and we're doing the worst. Does that make sense to anyone out there? Historic low taxes, and even lower actually paid taxes for corporations. And we are in a horrible position. So if they keep saying that if we continue to lower taxes for these companies that we will somehow have a higher production rate or have a higher um, GDP or, or somehow solve our unemployment? Well, why hasn't it been working? Because we've been doing that. Since Reagan, we've been doing that. I, do people only look to the past election? They don't ever look past that? It's amazing to me. All right. Sorry about that. Um... All right, where was I? The top donors for Romney's campaign have been major banks, according to OpenSecrets.com. Thus, this may not be an issue he can attack seriously. Obama, on the other hand, has been receiving top donations from technology companies, universities, and healthcare for nonprofit organizations. During the debates, Obama did not attack Mitt Romney on his record at Bank Capital as he took the high road. This is some bullshit. All right, this is... I watched the tail end of that debate, and uh, I, I have, I, and I've been vocal about it on here. I'm, I'm not happy with Obama in what he promised when he was going to come into office to do, and what he's done. Though, you know, let's be honest, he was dealt a pretty damn shitty hand, um, and certainly a shitty um, Senate and House um, reaction to his nomination as president. Um. Or induction as president. However, that being said, you may not agree with how we have recovered or how long it's taken, but you cannot disagree with the facts that we have been recovering and that we are now back to where we were at the start of his administration. That's something. It's not great. It's something. 
when you are at a point of actually being able to do what you said you were in office in your second term, which, let's be honest, virtually every president who runs two terms has, in retrospect, admitted that the first term is about just trying to keep their head above water over the complexity of running the country. And the second term is when they actually get to do something. I mean, just look at Clinton, for example. Um, look at Bush, even, for example. You know, he was reacting that whole first term to everything. 9-11, uh, Katrina, this whole second term, uh, he was pushing through his own agendas, which really didn't go that far and actually ended up tanking the U.S. But, but, still, he did what he said he was going to do, and that's what you do in your second term as president. So, if that's, if that's a truth, and Obama knows that going into this debate, where the hell was he during that debate? Like, he was literally, and I understand it was his um, anniversary, so maybe he was thinking about the loving him and Michelle were going to be having (laughs) after the debate. Uh, I know I would be. But, um, that's because I'm a freaking pervert. Uh, But, you know, he should have been present. He should have been just hitting, hitting, hitting hard, Romney. Because right now, the latest poll came out today, and they are tied. Tied! The guy that I swore to you would never see the White House is closer than ever to seeing the White House. Romney. Yeah. That's insane! That is maddeningly insane. If you are a woman, if if you are an immigrant, um, if you are a middle-class human being, uh, if you believe in individual rights and corporations are not people, how can you ever even consider Omni? It's insane. Um, people have their reasons, whatever. Uh, I, I cannot rationalize that. 21st century workforce. According to Thomas Cochum, a management professor at MIT, all of the other things we used to think about as a so- social contract have eroded. The main problem may be that the American economy has mainly become a financially driven economy. American corporations, while they value their workers as the most important assets, have somehow slipped in the creation of jobs of the 21st century. We need to retool and rebuild the jobs for the next century, a message President Obama has been hitting repeatedly since he actually came into office. This is partly a solution to the manufacturing crisis as well. Romney's been making the same claims. The dynamism of the American workforce is our country's greatest renewable natural resource. Jump-starting economic growth, therefore, requires that American workers have the skills that are needed to unleash their potential. One of the troubling features of the American economy today is the mismatch between the skill set of the American workforce and the requirements of the employment market. The gap between the two lies at the heart of our job crisis. During the debate, Obama talked about his education plan, race to the top, and the investment in junior or trade colleges. Romney lurched toward the center and tried to agree with many of the incentives already begun by Education Secretary Arne Duncan, while at the same time attacking the lack of anemic job growth. Has America become complacent about its assets? Does America need more business ecosystems like Silicon Valley tech startups around the country? Clearly, this is one way out of the recession, which has been exasperated by the politics of the moment and gridlock in the Congress. Neither candidate seems to have pitched their message loud and clear enough to draw a majority of the country behind them. During the first debate, Romney may have enhanced his persona, according to many pundits, but he failed to take on the substantive issues facing Americans' competitiveness in the globalized economy, which Obama has been clamoring about for four years with obstructionism from the opposition.
Romney may have scared off the big bird, setting off a Twitter frenzy, but he did not take on the big issues. With the enormous problems facing our country, the fact that we are in focus is just unbelievable to me said PBS chief Paula Kurt. Sesame Street Workshop is not only America's biggest classroom, but a global classroom America has introduced to millions of children in 150 countries. Kerger found Mr. Romney's statement simply stunning, as did hundreds of thousands of others tuned in. Dinesh Sharma is the author of Barack Obama in Hawaii and Indonesia, The Making of a Global President, which is rated as the top 10 black history books for 2012. His next book on President Obama, Crossroads of Leadership, Globalization and America's Exceptionalism in the Obama Presidency, is due to be published with Routledge Press. The views expressed in this article are the author's own and do not necessarily reflect Al Jazeera's editorial policy. So, obviously, this is skewed in Obama's favor, but does that mean that it's skewed. Well, I'll let you decide while we move to the next article. Alright, Los Angeles Times. Generic antidepressant pulled from U.S. shelves after FDA finding. And this was by Melissa Healy, uh, posted October 5th. The Food and Drug Administration took a highly unusual step this week. It acknowledged that a widely used generic drug, a copycat of the antidepressant Wellbutrin XL, was not the equivalent of the original drug produced by GlaxoSmithKline since 2003. The move prompted the world's largest manufacturer of generic drugs, Israel-based Teva Pharmaceuticals, to stop shipping its generic extended-release Bupropion, sorry, marketed as Butyprion, 300 milligram XL, and it moved it from U.S. bookshelf, or I'm sorry, it removed it from U.S. shelves. The FDA finding marks an about face for the Food and Drug Safety Agency, which in 2009 responded to public concerns by flatly declaring Teva's Butyprion XL, bioequivalent and therapeutically equivalent to interchangeable with Wellbutrin XL 300 milligrams. The agency's reversal came after a five-year kerfuffle. <laughs> I love that word. Um, <laughs> a kerfuffle that has called into question its unqualified assertion that all generic medications work exactly as the most costly pioneer drugs they are intended to mimic. With millions of American patients switched often without notification to newer, cheaper forms of the drugs they take, this week's acknowledgement by the FDA may open a small chink in the agency's so far impenetrable armor on generic drugs. The FDA is not infallible, wrote Joe and Terry Graydon, who published the column The People's Pharmacy and run an online forum by the same name. Just because the agency says all generic drugs are identical to their brand name counterparts does not make it so. The Gradians whose column long ran in the Los Angeles Times, said they've also collected a great many other complaints about the generic forms of the beta blocker Toprol XL, Metaprolol, and the anti-seizure drug Kepra, uh, Levitoracetam, <laughs> and have urged the FDA to look into them. In recent years, a number of pharmaceuticals 
or pharmacologists, have raised concerns about the FDA's standards for approving a range of generic medications, concerns that the agency has turned away with the unbending assertion that all generics on the market are the same as those brand-name drugs in dosage, form, safety, strength, route of administration, quality, performance characteristics, and intended use. In calling for the removal of Teva's Budaprian XL this week, the FDA also called on four other generic manufacturers making extended-release forms of Wellbutrin to conduct tests demonstrating that they meet the agency's standards for bioequivalence. Those generic drug makers are Anshin, Activis, Mylan, and Watson. Last year, the FDA approved the first generic version of the antidepressant, Lexapro. In 2010, the agency opened the door to generic versions of the extended-release antidepressant, Effexor. Read more about concerns raised, um, and there's a link here. In the case of Budaprian XL, which appeared on the market in December 2006, hundreds of consumers within months began sharing their stories in online chat rooms and with drug watchdog groups as pharmacies filled their brand name Wellbutrin XL prescriptions with Teva's new generic versions of the antidepressant. Patients whose depression has been well managed quickly found their symptoms returning. The Gradens turned to ConsumerLab.com with a request to evaluate the generic Budaprian in October 2007. ConsumerLab.com released a report finding that the Teva product behaved in a markedly different way from Wellbutrin XL. It released its active ingredient in a large early burst, a pattern that could give patients taking it sudden jolts of medication and leave them with too little medications in their systems by the end of the day. The FDA, in the end, found pretty much the same thing. In addition to finding the Teva Budaprian's XL 300mg failed to meet the FDA's bioequivalent standards for a generic drug, the FDA found that patients taking the generic ended up with 75% of the drug, on average, in their bloodstreams than those taking the brand name drug. Generic drugs are a bargain. According to the FDA, they cost 80 to 85% less than the brand name drugs they copy. Through 2010, generic drugs have saved U.S. consumers $931 billion, according to generic drug manufacturers. But some physicians and pharmacologists have been warned that seven are warned that certain drugs may need stricter scrutiny to ensure that generic formulations work in the same way as the drugs they follow. In particular, the effectiveness of medications for which there is a fine line between too much and too little. Some blood thinning drugs, anti-arrhythmics um, and... Uh, well, yeah, and seizure medications are examples, may suffer when generic manufacturers devise different formulations to deliver those medications. Extended release forms of any drug can also be tricky for generic manufacturers to get right. Bottom line, when you're dispensed a new prescription, check to see whether you've been switched to a generic form or generic made by one of the manufacturers or one made by a different generic drug maker. If you have, be attentive to new side effects and a return of symptoms or any change in your condition, whether it's epilepsy, high blood pressure, depression, or a regular heartbeat. If you notice something new, talk to your physician and suggest that he or she make a report to the FDA's MedWatch system, which tracks drug-related adverse effects. I actually bring this up because I, I am not this big anti-medical establishment kind of guy. Um... I, I do feel like there should have been more medical advances, though even though last week I, you know, I brought that ear article, which is fucking amazing still. Um, but I, you know, it, 
it's it's been slow because we've been fought um, by established uh, pharmaceutical corporation uh, lobbyists and you know when you can slowly meter out advancement you can charge more longer for those established drugs um, and I do believe that there are obviously you know I, I'm, I'm, I'm a realist here so I believe in biology, and I believe that people have different chemical balances. Um, there, there's, it's not like everyone is built physio, um, you know, chemically the same. Uh, some people are deficient, and that causes uh, high blood pressure, that causes epilepsy, that, that causes um, depression even. Um, and I, I, I think you know, these drugs benefit people, absolutely. And you cannot always cure yourself through uh, natural ways. If you could, there would be no pharmaceutical industry. It's pretty clear. <laughs> so this is like a constant argument between me and my wife. She's very much one of those natural healer book types where she, <laughs> she reads something. She's like, oh, just take more garlic. You'll be fine. I'm like, all right, well, I don't think so, Tim. Not going to happen. Um, meanwhile, she's still getting sick just like me. <laughs> so where's your garlic? Uh, you know, and then there are those people that think, well, I'm, I'm the master of me, uh, I, I never get sick, but it's funny because denying that you get sick, that, that you don't get sick, I'm sorry, denying that you get sick is not the same as not getting sick. <laughs> I mean, you're still sick, you're just refusing to acknowledge it. It's not the same thing at all. Um, so I, I, I think that's a bunch of bullshit as well. Um, you know, we have a medical profession and we might as well Enjoy the advancements that they found, you know? There's nothing wrong to that. But you have to go into it as everything in life with your eyes open. Ask the doctor about side effects. If you're not happy with those potential side effects, try a different drug. Or only go on it for a little while to see how your body is, is reacting to it. Drugs are not always the answer either. But if you've exhausted all of your other avenues... You know, we got into a position with our son where we had to decide, are we going to put him on um, on the ADHD medication or not? And I had some, like, genuine reservations. I, I don't want my son on drugs. But I also, I want my son to be the best version of him he can be. And if that means that he needs a little help along the way, you know... It's selfish of me to deny that. So we tried him on the drug, and the teachers at his school said it did help, and we didn't notice any um, repercussions. So when he was out of school, we took him off of it, and we were fine. And when he went back to school, we waited a little while, and then we put him back on it, and, you know, he seems to be being able to focus a little bit better, which, you know, it's, it's good. I guess, but it is one of those things where we're going to continually be taking him back off of it when, when he doesn't have an idiot, because I don't want my kid a drug addict. You know, I mean, bottom line, it's tough sometimes acknowledging that you need medication. Like, I, I have asthma that I developed late in life. Actually, right after the military, ironically. Um, when I was trying to go back into the military, they wouldn't accept me because I had asthma. And, um, you know, so I live by medication, um, Asmonex. And, and it, it makes it so I can breathe, so, you know, hey, I love living. It's a good thing. 
But it was one of those things where trying to find the right dosage and I'm continually seeing how long I can not take it but still benefit from the effects of, of taking it at a, at a shorter and shorter span because that particular drug has some side effects I'm not happy with. Um, and so, you know, I, you always have to balance um, the good and the bad in every every situation that you get yourself into. And certainly drugs are one thing that you have to be able to accept the bad if you want the good. And that can take time to figure out which is the best, which which choices are the best ones to make. And if you're going to take a generic, you know, this article proves it, look into it a little bit more because it's your health and your life and there's nothing more important, period. You know, that's how I see it. That's why I brought it to you. All right, so let's go ahead and, uh, oh, wow, we are running late. Holy shit. Let's jump right, I might not do the bizarre, the bizarre. Let's go ahead and jump right into the creature feature without any commercial breaks here. Oh, God. No, just me. <laughs> Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Ungrateful little bitches, aren't they? Can I ask you something? You're all church-going folk. I really want to ask you something. Do you think God knew what he was doing when he created woman huh no shit i really want to know or do you think it was just another one of his minor mistakes like tidal waves earthquakes floods you think women are like that matter you don't think god makes mistakes of course he does we all make mistakes <laughs> of course we make mistakes they call it evil when god makes mistakes they call it nature <laughs> so what do you think women a mistake or did he do it to us on purpose because I really want to know because if it's a mistake maybe we could do something about it find a cure invent a vaccine build up our immune systems <laughs> get a little exercise <laughs> <laughs> you know, 20 push-ups a day, and you never have to be afflicted with women ever again! <laughs> oh, the Witches of Eastwick. Jack Nicholson is the man. I love this show. Okay, so this was done in 87 by George Miller as the director. Writers were John Updike and Michael Christopher. Uh, Jack Nicholson stars Cher, Susan Sarandon. Oh my gosh. Michelle Pfeiffer. <laughs> I always do that. It's Pfeiffer, but, you know, Pfeiffer. Um, okay, so the premise of this show 
is these three single women who are very different than everyone else around them. Witches, as it were, uh, inadvertently cast a little magic. Actually, they intentionally do a little mock little magic spell. And, uh, yeah, they summon this man who uh, doesn't really overtly say he's a devil or demonic, though he shares qualities of a devil or demon, um, or the devil, as it were. He's a mysterious and flamboyant man, and he seduces these three women in their own necessary way. And then when they don't conform to uh, what he does, uh, when they don't respond the way he expects them to respond by him doing what they secretly desire him to do, and in this particular case, it's um, destroy a woman. They sort of shun him for a while. They're dealing with their own in inner emotions, and he doesn't understand why. I mean, this character doesn't really understand women at all, other than how to get them in the sack, which I can appreciate. <laughs> and then they decide that the only way to get rid of him is to give in to him for a little bit, and then, when he's not looking, do a ritual to get rid of him. What I love about this story, and the reason why it speaks to me personally, one, the sexuality in the movie. Uh, it's amazing. There are very few places where I think Cher is a sexy woman. This is one of them. She does these really great, um, big-breasted, sort of primordial statues as the character um, early on in the movie, which are just fantastic. I mean, it just takes me to this primordial place in my mind. I absolutely adore. And she looks pretty damn good in the show as well. And Susan Sarandon, I've always had a thing for her. She's amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, she's this sort of school teacher reserved, quiet lady, which just, ah, you know, it, it, it drives me mad. I just want to break that innocence. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is really like the fertile queen of the world in this. So, you know, she's obviously active. Um, and abandoned, so she's she's a victim for sure. Which, uh, you know, as far as you know, fantasy, I can appreciate in a woman. In reality, it's horrible, but in fantasy, it's nice. And Jack Nicholson is Jack Nicholson. He's one of those characters. That he, he's the he's like the mock personification of himself, <laughs> and he doesn't really play characters. So much as he just plays Jack Nicholson. <laughs> and uh, th this show is no exception. Okay, so uh, back to what speaks to me, aside from the sexuality of it. <laughs> of which there's a lot. It's the idea that these witches, these three women, full-on want a result. And when they get that result they sort of lose control of it, and it goes too far. And I think this parallels a lot of what can be expected with, um, uh, you know, people who aren't uh, pretenders to, to greater magic, I'll say. I'll, I'll use that. So, pretenders to greater magic. They expect things to go the way they want them to go at that moment, and then later on, and, and let me give you an example of, uh, a destruction ritual. And this is one of those things that I, I always sort of fall back on because the, the easiest clear-cut response. Um, Anton LaVey says that 
do not go into the ritual chamber for destruction unless you're full-on expecting the target to die uh, or else you are going to suffer um, and he is meaning specifically psychologically you're going to be distraught because you weren't you didn't really want them to die you just were pissed off at them for the moment and, and that's what i say when you go into any ritual expect the worst outcome now that worst outcome may be a best i'm just meaning the most extreme of outcomes so if it's a lust ritual you should be anticipating obsession and if you don't cater to those extremes if you don't accept them for what they are recognizing your role in it and reveling in that well then you can lose control of it just like these ladies did in this movie they lost control of their creature and then when they tried to get rid of him, well, I'm not going to give the very end away. On the off chance you haven't seen it, you really, really should. Um, but th that scene that I played at the beginning of this <laughs> is their first sort of stab at trying to get rid of him and, and his response. And, you know, I, I was raised primarily by women. I did have a male figure in my life, but he was much more attentive to his son than me. I was the stepson. Um, and so I, I always felt like I had more of a, a kinship with the women in my life, um, which made me very much, um, okay, that's, this sounds weird as I say it, but it, it you know, there's nothing weird in my youth. Um, but it just made me more attentive to the, the sexuality of women in my life. And I would like to think that they've benefited from that. I mean, my wife's not complaining, so I'm assuming, um, and my girlfriends that I know of, if you're listening to this, any of them, please let me know. <laughs> uh, but you, you become aware of female expectations, which are drastically different than men, if you don't know by now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, this movie is just one of those little windows into it because, you know, what he's speaking to is, is there a cure for a woman? Is it a mistake what they are? They are so insecure at their core. They are so competitive within their own cliques. Um, uh, they backstab, and then they, they're depressed when you don't give them the attention. But then when you give them too much attention, they regret and, and resent you for it. And if you're not their chosen one and you give them the attention, they can turn very aggressive to it. And if you're in a relationship, some women are very unstable. So they are very much at... at and okay, I'm making broad generalities because satanic witches are self-aware so they are not always like this um, unless of course they're playing to it <laughs> you would use um, but women are very much at the mercy of their emotions much more than men and I say that I mean men are much more stereotypically aggressive so you can say that they're you know slaves to their emotions as well in that avenue but women are more conniving about it um, whereas a man will yell at someone and that'll be that a woman will nitpick from weeks months until you just want to pull your eyeballs out and scream and die i mean it, they can be very very manipulative this movie is the perfect example of women getting exactly what they want and then realizing that they never even wanted that in the first place they were just playing and uh, you know what they make the devil pay for it <laughs> it's it's very entertaining it, anytime you see Jack Nicholson you know it's going to be good anytime you see Susan Sarandon you know it's going to be sexy 
And with Michelle Pfeiffer and Sherry, you can't go wrong. The Witches of Eastwick, 1987. Check it out. And that's going to do it. That's going to do it for another show. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm sorry I've been sick this entire time. Uh, my head is just throbbing. I, I really feel like crap. I thought it was allergies this morning, but it hasn't gone away. And it just actually got a lot worse when I was done working out. So I'm sipping on some uh, some wine here, and it's not helping at all. <laughs> not sure why I thought it would. But, okay, so I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. Did you know you can purchase official 9 Cents Podcast clothing and accessories through Asp Apparel? Hmm? Did you know? Have you heard me mention it? I've mentioned it before. You can go to the website, click on the barrel link, order yours. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, asthmapparel.com. They've got some official nine cents clothing. And, you know, it's like t-shirt and stuff, but spread the word, man. Get a tie. Dress to the nines with a fantastically designed, by yours truly, nine cents tie. Or t-shirt. And spread the word about nine cents. Let's knock those other shitty pseudo podcasts out of the digital realm. It's my call to action. Okay, but if you don't want to buy my shit, that's fine. That's okay. Because Asp Apparel has a lot of other amazing officially licensed clothing. Uh, Church of Satan. Yeah, officially licensed clothing of the Church of Satan designs are represented there. Uh, even uh, other Radio Free Satan shows have clothing represented there. So check it out. Uh, Asp Apparel, the great quality, fantastic gentleman running it can't go wrong. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9CentsPodcast.com. We're also now on Last.fm, Stitcher, and Spotify, so look for us there. And uh, YouTube, you know. You can subscribe to 9 cents via iTunes by searching nine cents and don't forget to leave a rating or comment and I did check and after last episode you guys are awesome I got another comment and I got a couple more ratings I love you <laughs> I love it I love getting those ratings it, it makes me feel good it makes me smile if you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit radiofreesatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me. And as always, I am your host, Adam Campbell. And until next week, Hail Satan!